Good morning and welcome to Money for Nothing. I'm Brian Curtis. We see progress reported on a looming mainland default of a key trust product, so we'll take a look at that. Billionaire investor Carl Icahn agitates to have eBay spin off PayPal and Netflix crushes on earnings. Overall earnings pick up a little in the United States and stocks move higher. And here are some of the other themes that we're following this morning. The minimum wage is a problem. And I think we've got, we're clearly creating societies where we have large groups of haves and have nots. That was expressed by the public during the financial crisis, uh, sometimes in, in pretty graphic ways. And we need to address it. Do we, we need to raise the minimum wage? I think the minimum wage does need to raise. So that's kind of interesting. That's James Gorman, the chief executive officer of Morgan Stanley, and this. So, number one, let's get the economy going. Number two, no new mistakes. Uh, one of the mantras we have internally, and I put as one of my top 10 goals every year, is no new mistakes. Let's not repeat what caused us to get into this position. So they're all at Davos. And how do people feel overall about global economic conditions? Much more positive than the last number of years. I think the highlight is the absence of any very significant economic crisis or issue that we ought to be concerned about. That's not to say that things are perfect everywhere, but certainly a lot more positive than the last number of years. That's Christian Meissner of Bank of America. He's their head of their global investment bank, and he sees a pickup in M&A activity this year. And we'll have more in a Heard Around Davos uh, segment coming up shortly. In some other segments, we'll talk about mainland companies focusing outward on their merger and acquisition strategy. We'll be speaking with Patricia Heiberger, editor for the Asia Pacific at Merger Market. And we'll also be talking about investing. Are markets rising for reasons that seem detached from the fundamentals, or are the fundamentals really getting better? Should you buy now and ask questions later? We'll have Richard Harris from Port Shelter Investment Management and also Martin Henneke from the Henley Group. Let's take a look at markets here in Asia. We started off uh, more negative than now, but now we're seeing a little bit of positive uh, activity. The Nikkei up 66 points at 15,887. In Australia, though, companies are uh, being traded down a little bit. The uh, market's off a quarter of a percent. And in Seoul, uh, just a one-point drop there for the Kospi. The dollar-yen is now 104.64, so that's the dollar stronger against the yen. And the euro now is at 1.3544 U.S. And the pound all the way up at 12 Hong Kong dollars and 84 cents. Definitely want to do a segment uh, sometime in the next few days on the strength of the U.K. economy and the strength of the pound. Well, most U.S. stocks rose overnight. Earnings improved in this latest session. Three stocks were up for every two that declined in the S&P 500. Uh, but the gains were rather minimal. The S&P 500 was up about 0.1% at 1844. Uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was actually down 41 points, 16,373, weighed down by IBM, which, of course, we reported on yesterday. Its earnings uh, were a little light. Let's go back to Mr. Meissner. He says merger and acquisition activity globally is picking up. Well, we have seen a pickup, for sure, in particular in cross-border activity, but not only. And our sense is that that is going to accelerate at a reasonably substantial rate in 2014. We've really seen most of the activity have some U.S. angle, either U.S. buyer or U.S. seller, in 2013. The, the international markets have been relatively muted, but our sense is that that's going to change in 2014. 
Netflix shares were up 17% in after-hours trading. The online video streaming company uh, reported earnings of 79 cents a share. That was better than the 65 expected. And revenues beat as well. By the way, of the 86 companies in the S&P 500 that have reported so far, 70% have beaten estimates for profit and 65% have exceeded sales projections. That's a big improvement from a week ago. eBay says Carl Icahn has proposed splitting off its PayPal online payments unit. He's nominating two of his employees to join the board. Shares were up about 12% in after hours. And the, so the, this was also another earnings story that was rather positive. And Mr. Icahn purchased eBay shares over the past month. He's now built up a 0.82% stake. Okay, now let's uh, go to that Heard Round Davos segment. This is um, some comments that we picked up from uh, the corridors of Davos. Three big issues seem to be on people's mind. Inequality, so that's the gap between the rich and the poor. Trust, mainly trust in the uh, banking sector. And philanthropy. So here's a little bit of sound we picked up. Philanthropy isn't going to solve all the world's problems. Uh, right now, philanthropy in the United States, people give away roughly about 2% of GDP. So it's a small percentage of GDP that's involved in philanthropy. It's important, but a small percentage. What, to solve income inequality, we need to educate people better. Uh, when you have 25% of the people who enter high school in many urban areas not completing high school, you're now creating people who are not going to get better jobs. They might often wind up in doing things that might not socially acceptable. And a high, higher percentage of people graduate do not graduate from high school, wind up in our prison system, which is the largest in the world. So I think income inequality cannot be solved overnight. We have to commit to do it over a period of time. But education is probably the key. That's David Rubenstein, the CEO of Carlisle. Let's go back to Tom Gorman, or James Gorman, rather, who is the CEO of Morgan Stanley. This is the most um, damaging financial crisis since the Depression, and maybe well before that. Um, uh, with all the home foreclosures, uh, the bank failures, um, all the, uh, and the impact that had on the global economy. It was devastating. You need strong institutions. So the first thing the industry did was start recapitalizing, raise their liquidity, cut their leverage. Uh, secondly, the industry started shedding the businesses that were at the root of what got the big banks into trouble during the crisis, which were a lot of the proprietary trading businesses. So, again, uh, that's James Gorman, and he had said, uh, that clip that I played at the beginning, that he just really felt that the minimum wage should be raised, that people at the lower end are just not making enough. Let's go back to Mr. Rubenstein. How would he convince more people to do more philanthropy, to give more money to charity? I don't think I can control what other people do with their money, but I do think it's important that people who have a fair amount of money uh, do something useful with it other than just buying, you know, uh, homes or yachts or things like that. At some point in life, people realize they need to do something, I think, to give back to society. So there is a lunch here that Bill Gates and I are hosting for people who have signed the giving pledge, but also for people who might sign the giving pledge. And we had that last year, and it worked quite well, and I hope we'll... How many successful. people do you think you can recruit? And, and remind us what the giving pledge is, because some people pledge, don't know. The giving pledge is uh, something that Bill Gates and Melinda Gates put together with Warren Buffett. It's designed to get certain people to give away, during their lifetime or at death, at least half of their net worth. And it has now about 120 people who have signed up to do so around the world, but most of them are in the United States. We're increasingly working to get people outside the United States to do so. Philanthropy is more of a United States preoccupation than probably people outside the United States. So it takes a little more work to convince people outside the United States to give away half of their net worth. But I, we're making progress. 
Oil prices now $108.27 a barrel, and gold is now $1,236.70 an ounce. That's down $1.90 from the New York close. Our first guest, Richard Harris, Chief Executive of Port Shelter Investment Management. Richard, good morning. Good morning, Brian. Uh, so lots to talk about. Um, yeah, maybe comment a little bit on those comments heard around Davos. Um, uh, what do you think? Uh, you know, you think about trust in the banking sector uh, went down a lot. They're trying to get it back. Mr. Gorman there was explaining that they've lowered leverage. They've raised capital levels and they're slowly trying to rebuild trust. And we heard some comments about philanthropy, uh, about this giving pledge. And I guess overall, um, uh, the comments about growth and getting back to normality is just that, yes, we're getting there, but slowly. I, I think so. There's there's definitely a great smugness, I think, going around uh, Davos at the moment with people saying, hey, we didn't do too badly. Um, but I think um, James Gorman was actually making some very valid points, uh, especially in terms of the minimum wage, because although it sounds um, a little bit uh, communistic, perhaps, the, the big problem we have is that people aren't actually earning enough money. It's just not right for people to go out to work and not bring enough money in. And what's happening in Western countries quite a lot now at the lower levels of the of the wage spectrum is that people are having to fall back on income support from governments. And it can't be right for governments to be supporting private industry. So I think this is going to be a big issue that's going to uh, start coming through over the next uh, couple of years. So many of the companies have piled up so much cash on their balance sheets, and they've been buying back stock or raising dividends rather than investing in people or investing in plant and equipment. Do you think that changes this year? I think that what we're seeing is we're probably in the middle of the technology cycle. You know, we all thought rather uh, glibly back in uh, the 90s, well, technology is going to change things. Well, it's dramatically changed things. Print in industry. It's dramatically changed banking. Uh, what it's done is it's destroyed jobs, a lot of those very high-paying jobs, and it's de-skilled the rest of them. So you actually don't need as much people as skilled, um, and you actually don't pay them as much. And that's another reason why we've got this big income disparity. It'd be easy to say, well, you know, you really have to have profits at companies, otherwise they can't expand. Uh, so they can't pay out a lot more money to employees uh, because if they don't have profits, they simply can't expand and therefore people won't be hired. But it's not really the case. I mean, they're immensely profitable. They're making so much money. It's, it's ridiculous. And how they can defend not giving some of that back to people, I think, is kind of astonishing. Well, you do have uh, a lot of corporate people holding onions up to their eyes and saying, oh dear, corporate profitability uh, is, is not so good. But you're right, it is at a peak. They're still so scared, these CEOs. Well, I think what the, to a certain extent, they are still not investing. And I think what we may well see in the next year or two is a new cycle of capital reinvestment, which is going to be a very important trend for the economy because inventory pipelines are very low. Uh, so inventory needs to be built up, and that also means more employment. So I think what we're going to like to see in the West is a continuation of this growth growth as some of those profits are then put back into the business. Yes, I'm looking forward to speaking with Patricia Heiberger in a few minutes uh, from Merger Market about uh, M&A activity. And I played that uh, comment earlier from the head of global investment banking at uh, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. He says that M&A is picking up and that is actually CEOs deploying money. Uh, uh, do you think that's a good sign? Well, uh, you, you might say M&A is a little bit of financial engineering of uh, CEOs looking to want to sit at the top of a big organization. But I think it does have a serious point is that we're 
we're at a phase in the cycle where people are obviously saying we want to expand and prices aren't that expensive, although M&A activity often happens at the top of the market as well. But there's another interesting thing here, where is if you're looking at Carl Icahn, who's been making inroads into Apple and saying they should give away their, uh, their, their cash pile. He's now starting uh, a bit of an attack on eBay. Uh, these guys are very smart, and I think what they're doing is they're sort of saying, yes, the markets have recovered, but they're now taking a bet on the fact that they're going to recover even more, um, and they're looking for these companies to be a bit more efficient. Yeah, it brings me to uh, a, a little anecdote from the other day. Uh, a couple of people very close to me, were uh, they just had watched American Hustle, and, uh, and they said, uh, hey, Brian, uh, what, is, uh, what is private equity, and, and what is a hedge fund, and what, how is a hedge fund you know, different from an asset management company? And so I launched into uh, you know really boil-it-all-down explanation of it, and I kid you not, this is the God's honest truth. One of them fell asleep in the middle of my uh, storytelling. So either I'm not a very good storytelling or it's pretty boring. Well, but, well the main it, definition is the fact that they're able to charge much higher fees well, yes, than asset management because you can blind people in that way. We've got seriously well-informed listeners. Uh, maybe we won't explain it now, although I, I would like to do that. Obviously, with private equity, you know, they go in and, and try to uh, unlock some value, make some changes, get rid of the management in some cases. And this is sort of what Icon is doing. He thinks that PayPal, you know, doesn't – that the value of – of PayPal isn't reflected in the in the share price of eBay, so he wants to have it stripped out, and uh, we're not sure whether that will go through. He has bought up now a little less than one percent, but it does show you that um, lots of people are looking for value and they're trying to do things about it. I, I think so. I mean, in all seriousness, I think this could be quite a good year for private equity, um, and I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot more funds launched as a result because we're at that funny stage where people are a lot more comfortable now about the markets. Uh, they think there's more to go, and there is more to go. Um, and certainly while the markets may be in a little bit of a hiatus in this first quarter, uh, interestingly enough, they stopped going up right at the end of uh, the last quarter, uh, fulfilling Harris's prophecy that markets often change right at the end of every quarter. Um, I think this is a phase where some of the smarter investors are actually saying, yes, maybe this is a time to get in with this private equity or listed equity or, or whatever. So it seems like one of the trends that you're saying is that um, last year's trends will probably carry through for the next 12 months. Well, I think it's pretty difficult to ignore it. You know, you were talking about the UK economy a little bit earlier. The UK is often a very visible economy, and here you have growth much more than we expect. You have unemployment falling faster than we expect. Um, I think it's going to be a very good indicator both for the US and for Europe. Um, I'm not saying that things are going to look particularly good, but they're going to be good enough for the markets to feel comfortable about themselves and for people to put more money in. Okay, one of these stories that I headlined this morning was um, alluding to this trust uh, product in uh, China that had run into trouble. And there's some progress there. China Credit Trust reported uh, progress on getting some payment for this, this troubled uh, 500 million U.S. dollar trust product, about 3 billion yuan. Uh, this is according to the Securities Times newspaper. It might ease concerns that we'll, we're going to see the first default on one of these high-yield investments in China. This product, by the way, is called Credit equals gold number one has this kind of weird, clunky title. Um, apparently, it has obtained a new mining license, according to the newspaper. And another coal mine project has won support from – you see, what this uh, trust product did was invested in a coal mine, and then the coal mine ran into trouble. So they're worried that uh, this this product will, uh, will go bust. Obtaining licenses will, as the argument goes, permit the mines to start operating and produce coal for sale. So I want to bring in Martin Henneke, chief economist 
at the Henley Group. Martin, good morning. Good morning. Are you looking um, nervously at debt levels in China and how it could seriously upset the apple cart? Yeah, we are always looking nervously at all markets globally, and uh, and that of course includes China. And uh, right now, the property market is something we we would largely stay away from. If you're talking about direct property prices, they're quite expensive. As they are in Hong Kong, we have just this week had a statistics out, an international comparison, saying basically compared to average household income, Hong Kong. Um, and China basically are among the most expensive uh, markets in the world. But having said that, at the same time, the equity market over the last five years have, has dropped substantially, and Hong Kong-listed China stocks also have been weak. So the val- are, valuations are, are low. The value is okay. But the of risk course, is high. Of course, if you have a total Armageddon in China, you know that's that's something to watch out for. But well, let me ask you this: Do you worry about a major default in China or Europe more? Well, actually. Let me just say one thing. Okay. On, on Monday... You can say more than one. On Monday, you had Standard & Poor's filing a declaration in the U.S. federal um, court in California saying that the U.S. government retaliated against Standard & Poor's for downgrading the U.S. in 2011. And so I think the ratings, particularly of the Western countries, where the governments really have a big influence over the rating agencies, is totally unreliable. So I worry about a debt crisis. Maybe I would say in the most immediate term, mostly about Europe, then the U.S., and I would say then China. But having said that, we wouldn't invest in those high-yield products in China. We, we do think there are substantial risks there that, that may be underestimated, and likewise the property market. But if you're looking at some So point stocks, number one, would you not trust the ratings agencies or you do trust the ratings agencies? and You, you just- can't trust them because they are not free to do what they may want, and they may not be that clever anyway. You know, If you do want to you know, trust any rating agencies, there are some that are a bit better than others, like Chinese Dagong, or in the U.S. you have Wise Credit Ratings Agency. They, they are much more independent, so I would rather trust them, and, and they you know, have much lower ratings on the Western countries. And in the Eurozone right now, I would be very worried. I mean, particularly if you're looking at the bond yields there across the Eurozone of, of Spanish banks, and so on. They have all been coming down. Italian sovereign, they've all been coming down. There's virtually no upside left and huge downside. The risk of default underestimated so, so ga- risk ga- of inflation. Gauging risk is very difficult now. Uh, does that send you more to gold? Um, I would say yes, also with the lower price of gold. Yes, we like it. Um, there's also talk now that soon the uh, Chinese government will announce the uh, updated um, gold reserve numbers. You, you may be aware last time they did that, it was five years ago, and it's, it's expected they might have about tripled the gold reserve since then. That, that could be just uh, one, one other support factor there. And there's an investigation also by the German banking regulator now in gold price manipulation. They have been saying it might be worse than LIBOR, than the LIBOR scandal. Okay, so- so let's go back to gauging risk. Uh, China, we're all trying to figure out, you know, how big a risk is it with all these high yield products? And, and let's face it, most of the companies that have um, been in this category of high yield have been um, property related uh, here of late. So, you know, you have to try to figure out if there is a property bust in China, if there is some sort of major blow up, that's going to take everything down. Uh, yet you are less concerned about China than you are the U.S. and Europe. I would differentiate. Um, property prices in China and some of these high yield products, yes, I may be, you know, 
somewhat similarly concerned, given that the values aren't there. But some assets, the values are there. And, and, you know, not everything is always moving in the same direction at the same time. You have seen property prices triple, equity market drop by, you know, 60, 70%. So it's not true that all these things always move in the same direction. And the banks in China, actually, if you're looking at banking stocks, well, they are quite reasonable in terms of high reserve um, requirement ratios. Yeah, we've already had the bust in the U.S. and the bust in Europe, and we haven't had a bust yet. But we haven't had a sovereign debt bust. You know, banks have been bailed out. All these problems in the U.S. and Europe have only been transferred from the, from the businesses, from the from the banks, on the balance sheets of the government. And those, nobody can bail out the governments. Only the printing prices okay. or sovereign debt crisis. So the biggest bust yet in, in those markets is yet to come in, uh, from our point of view. When I was little, you know, I used to always love to hear um, scary stories uh, uh, from, you know, my mom or my dad who tell me stories. But, um, you know, not right before bedtime, you know, so that's why I would never bring Martin on, you know, on an <laughs> evening show, you know, never. But uh, here we are in the morning, so we can, we can, you're always, yeah, you're always a scary guy to listen to. So let's flip it around on the other side. Uh, what are you most positive about now? You mentioned gold you like, I, I would imagine silver too. What's your single best investment idea at the moment? Well, single boss, what you just said, gold, silver, I think it's, it's really great value now and, and a lot of positives um, happening there, like what I mentioned with, with Chinese demand, sovereign debt crisis risk get underestimated. We think the tapering may not be as strong as expected because they can't afford to let the rates rise and so on and so forth. But on the market, let me also just reiterate Russia. Um, you know, when you look at the global price earnings ratio tables of equity markets, Russia really is around price earnings ratio of five. You can't find anything as undervalued and they don't have a political crisis. Uh, they, they don't have you know any any major upheaval or major sovereign debt issues or anything of this nature. And the prospects for gas exports, for example, to China are quite good. Natural gas, you see the pollution again worsening. China is a huge problem. They really urgently yeah. try to address this. And one way is with cleaner burning natural gas rather than coal. All right, Martin. Thank you very much for these uh, pearls of wisdom. Uh, mentioned uh, uh, Patricia Heiberger, editor for the Asia Pacific at Merger Market, joins us in our studios, and uh, um, all you guys can still weigh in if um, if if you think that P- Patricia is not, um, you know, holding the day. But Patricia, good morning. Good morning. I saw you chuckling at some of the things that uh, have been said on this program. Uh, the China corporates, they're going global again. They've got their checkbooks out, and they're looking for companies that can bolster energy security. That's one important thing. Food security is another. And also, they've wanted for the longest uh, time advanced technology. So do you see a lot of um, M&A activity coming this year? Yes. Um, I was listening to those comments from Davos, and we completely agree with them. Um, our sources at Merger Market are very, very positive. There's a lot of um, fuzzy feelings about the return of M&A in 2014. And if we look back at 2013, one interesting thing that we saw, especially in Asia, was that every quarter had a higher deal value than the quarter preceding it. So the momentum was very clear. Remind us of some of the top stories, the big highlights. Well, if you look at global M&A values, things were mostly unchanged. But if you look at Asia x Japan, we saw 15% growth versus 2012. So that's pretty stark. A big one is you see the Japanese company Centauri moving on Jim Beam. I mean, that's a large $16 billion merger. Exactly. They just opened the year with with $16 billion on liquor. Let me me ask you, for the average listener, for the general listener, rather, um, why are mergers and acquisitions important? Well, when 
M&A values go up, it's usually a sign that companies are very bullish about growth. It's either they're looking for growth in markets where they're not present, or they're looking for growth in types of products that they would like to add on to their portfolio. So it shows us that there's a general confidence in the way the economy is going. And so for some of those areas that I talked about for Chinese companies, since that's closest to home, we often think of energy, I guess, uh, them looking in Africa. Are they still heavily looking in Africa? Yes, we saw a lot of interest in Africa from China. We also saw a lot of interest in Latin America. And the deals were happening in areas like consumer and agriculture for food security and in in natural resources. So the themes are the same. China is looking for food security. China is also looking for energy security. And what are they looking for in North America? In North America, the theme is a is a bit different. We've heard some of our sources saying that they're looking at things like shale gas. So that's something that is in in their minds. They're also looking for higher technology. Uh, A lot of the Chinese companies and industrials, they still see themselves stuck in you know, lower price value of kind of production. They want to move up the value chain, and they so can't do that if they don't have better many, technology. Many say that China has more shale gas even than the United States, uh, but it doesn't have the technology yet to get at it. So w- this would be an area mergers here could help. Exactly. Would, would that technology transfer uh, be allowed by the U.S. government? Uh, well, we really don't know. Uh, I'm not an expert on shale gas, but some of my colleagues in, in the U.S. are saying it's not that clear, it's not that sim- simple, because some of the regulations are you have to go state by state to get uh, approvals. Yes, Richard. Uh, Patricia, do you think that with all this um, increased M&A activity, I mean, the Chinese have obviously been active in commodities, but also with the rest of the world coming through, more liquidity there, there's going to be more competition, maybe more private equity. Do you think we're going to see a bubble in prices over the next year or so? I'm not so sure about that because my mining team, my resource team, they they surveyed their sources just very recently. And it seems like within Asia, only the Chinese are actively looking for commodities. We asked the Japanese investors, and they were not very gung-ho about making acquisitions. The Koreans, they're kind of embroiled in a a lot of debt from their previous buying sprees, so their focus is to deleverage and to sell off assets. So I'm not so sure if... You know, this positivity from the Chinese will lead to higher p- prices. And what about Chinese buyers moving into Europe? Uh, we've seen some activity there, too. We have. We have. In the past couple of years, we have seen a lot of Chinese going into Europe. The desire is still there, but I'm hearing from some sources that it's not as much of a value play now as it was a couple of years ago. So we talked earlier about uh, private equity and what it means. It's, um, you know, it's kind of a new name, I guess, for what we used to call leveraged buyout firms. Uh, do you see much of that activity, private equity, uh, uh, in China? Well, in Asia, very interestingly, we saw 18% growth in 2013 versus 2012. That's the highest percentage globally. And um, you know, with the IPO markets thawing, it just stands to reason that there's going to be more confidence in in, in activity in the private equity Okay, so space. we f- finish on a, a positive note from you. Um, final comment, Martin. Uh, you leave us with uh, a word of caution. 
<laughs> well, well, yes, maybe one, one last thing quickly to point out. In the U.S., yeah, uh, you mentioned uh, it's, all, it's all getting better, the crisis is over. Apart from sovereign debt, one figure just came out this month. The people out of the labor force in the U.S. are at an all-time high, 91.8 million. So all this improvement in the labor market, is, is it really true? I doubt it. Okay. All right, we'll leave it on that. Thanks very much to Martin Henneke, chief economist at the Henley Group, Patricia Heiberger before that, editor for the Asia-Pacific at Merger Market, and our old friend Richard Harris, chief executive of Port Shelter Investment Management. Money for nothing at 8.30. By the way, the Nikkei is up 117 points, so three-quarters of a percent. The other markets just slipping a little to the downside. The news is coming up next. The weather today, before we get to the news, fine and dry, cold in the morning. Maximum temperature, 17 degrees today. The outlook in the next couple of days, cloudier with temperatures and humidity rising progressively. News with Samantha Butler. The UN Secretary General Ban Ki moon has told the two sides in Syria's civil war that the time has come for earnest negotiations to end the conflict. Speaking after the first day of a peace conference in Switzerland, Mr. Ban said Syrians must come together to save their country and protect their children. Earlier, Syrian government and opposition delegations faced each other for the first time.